Welcome to Starting Points, a Faith on Hill podcast. This podcast goes through the whole Bible, from Genesis to the book of Revelation, including all of the major sections of the Bible. It is designed to be a starting or a restarting point for a person's reading and study and engagement with the Bible, which we believe to be the Word of God. Today we're going to be looking at the writings of the prophet Isaiah. It's a book that you have probably heard from before. Uh, I know we read from Isaiah 53 every like you know Good Friday. Um, it's the most quoted book of all the Old Testament books in the New Testament. It's quoted in the New Testament more times than any other Old Testament book. Now it was written by the prophet Isaiah. I know there's some controversy around the authorship, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but it was written uh, by the prophet Isaiah, and there's two major sections. The first is what's called the Assyrian period. That's because uh, the Assyrian empire was the major threat to Israel uh, during that early part of Isaiah's ministry. And so uh, from chapter 1 through to chapter 39, he's dealing with the Assyrian period. And then from chapter 40 through the end of the book, chapter 66, the Babylonian empire becomes the major threat on the horizon for the people of Israel. And so he is dealing with that situation as well. Um, From chapters uh, one through 12, he prophesies concerning Judah and the city of Jerusalem. From chapter 13 through 27, Isaiah prophesies concerning the nations around them. Uh, From chapter 28 through 35, uh, he gives a warning that Egypt is not going to deliver them. He says, you know, basically the people were concerned about this Assyrian threat. And so they said, we're going to go and make an alliance with Egypt and they will deliver us. And Isaiah says, it's not going to be Egypt that delivers us, it will be Yahweh, it will be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God, the God of Israel will deliver us. And then chapter 36 through 39 is this sort of um, interlude between the two periods and uh, some of his general prophecies and writing. And then uh, chapter 40, he gives a message of hope in these troubled times. Oh, the Assyrians are gone, but now the Babylonians are here. Uh, Chapter 40 uh, through 48 He speaks really clearly about the true God versus these false idols. Uh, In chapters 49 through 57, his message is that uh, this coming servant, the Lord's coming servant, who we know to be Jesus, will bring salvation through his suffering. And then chapter 58 through 66 is a future hope and glory for God's people in the new Zion. So, Isaiah means salvation is of the Lord or the Lord is salvation. It's a symbolic name and it is apt for his message. Um, In Isaiah chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 13, he's described as the son of Amoz. Um, And tradition says that Amoz was the brother of Amaziah and he was the son of Joash, who was the king of Judah in 2 Kings 14. So the idea is that it's very possible, very likely, that Isaiah was nobility in, in Israel. He was, um, he was a descendant of King David. Um, he was of the line of David. He would have been um, you know, distantly related to Jesus. He would have been related to uh, the kings that we read about in in the books of uh, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, um, it would basically be like you know you got a situation where there's like um, you know if if you stayed up I don't know why you would 
I mean, I, I lived in England and I'm kind of a monarchist and I did not stay up or watch any YouTube replays of the King's coronation. But you know, it's be like if you stayed up and watch these things and you go, Oh, who's that guy? And then you find out, well, he is the brother of the queen mother, the current King's grandmother. And so he is like the King's cousin down this other line. And that's kind of what Isaiah was. He was around, he was part of the nobility. He had a role in, in the Royal life and he had a unique position to speak into the lives of these ruling elites. Get to more of that in a minute. Uh, he was married and he had two sons that we know of. One was named Sheer Jashub, which means the remnant shall return. That was a prophecy. Uh, his name was a prophecy given to say, hey, God's going to take us into exile, but we will come back. And then he had another son named Mahir Shahal Hazbaz, which means in speed, spoil, booty, hastens. That's a rough one to translate, but the idea is that there's a coming destruction and, and we will be plundered. And so that name was symbolic of, of the message that Isaiah was given. Isaiah received his visions under four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And it's generally thought that the visions um, were given, you know, like the earlier ones were like the beginning of his ministry. Um, and then he did go into the reign of King Manasseh, but he was killed so quickly. It wasn't, he's not considered to have prophesied during that time. Tradition says that Manasseh ordered him to be sawed in half. Um, and he had prophesied for about 50 years from about 739, 740 BC to about 690 BC. It's interesting. God basically is using an elite to speak to the elites. I, Isaiah was uniquely positioned to have access to the rulers of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, the people of God. Isaiah was positioned to have notoriety and recognition and you know, people would know who he was. That's Isaiah. What makes me think though, when we talk about like the human story is who has God prepared you to speak to? Who has God given you as you have this opportunity, you have this insight, you have this, I, I believe that there are situations and people and places that one person will speak more effectively to than someone else. Everybody says, oh, we'll get the pastor to do that. You know, I'm, I, I can explain what the Bible says and I can teach the Bible and I can pray with people and do all of those things. But you know what? It's very possible that you will speak more powerfully to your coworker, your neighbor, the person that sits across from you in, in class, whatever, than I would because you have a relational connection. You have a, a, a natural authority to speak, a natural in that somebody else would never have. Isaiah had an ability to go and speak to the elites. Maybe he wouldn't have done so well speaking to like the common or the, the, you know, the lower class person and maybe somebody else would have. Sometimes Now, sometimes God does the opposite and he gets somebody who's got no name, no reputation to go speak to the powerful people and, and he's using the foolish things the world can found the wise. That's true. But my point is, is that Isaiah had a natural in. It's easier for me to come and speak to people in Oregon than it is for me to go and speak to people that live in like South Carolina because I don't know South Carolina. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who lives in another West Coast city. He's a pastor. And he said that what's happening in his city is that churches are sending church planters to go and start churches in his city. And they all come and they all come from like South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, um, you know, Virginia. And they come backed with a lot of money and resources and everything. And they get a church going and they'll have like two, 300 people showing up on a Sunday morning. And then after a few years, they bail because they're not 
from there and their, their ministry is largely ineffective. And, and, and he said, I've seen this happen like five or six times in the last couple of years. And it's just, it's like, stop, stop doing this. Like he, he's just kind of frustrated about it. This person's probably more effective just staying where they're at. God makes us who we are and places us where he places us. And we have a natural end to speak to the people that God has made us to speak to. Now, the nation of Israel at this point was divided north and south, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. It was in constant danger of invasion. And Isaiah's message was to look to God, but the kings and the people ignored him and they looked to the nations around them, which only caused them to fall into further pain and panic and hardship and ultimately invasion and exile. In our day, it's easy and it's tempting to look to solutions from the world around us. It's, it's easy to say, hey, we'll just do it like, like the world does it. And it is leading to more pain and suffering. And it just doesn't need to be that way. Now, there are landmines. As I said earlier, there is debate about who wrote Isaiah. Uh, probably Isaiah more than most of the other prophets. There is debate about who wrote Isaiah. There is thought that at least two writers three, some even say four or more writers wrote different parts of Isaiah. And they say, well, this part seems to be different in terms of structure and style than this later part does. Isaiah prophesied for 50 years. If the first part of the book was written in his 20s and the last part of the book was written in his 70s, you think it might look a little different? You think there might be some differences in personality and experience and proficiency and all of these things. And somebody says, well, Isaiah, why don't you go back and clean up that earlier stuff? So that's what God gave me to say then. I'm not going to change it. Uh, David Guzik points out that in the New Testament, it indicates that there was only one author of Isaiah. Uh, the apostle John in John chapter 12 quotes both first part of Isaiah and the second part of Isaiah. Supposedly where two or more different Isaiahs or different people claiming to be Isaiah wrote, and John specifically tells us it was the same Isaiah. The New Testament quotes Isaiah more than any other prophet, uh, and not just more than any other prophet, but more than any of the other prophetic authors combined. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jonah, Obadiah, all of these guys you put them all together, how many times they're quoted in the New Testament, and it's still not as much as, as Isaiah is quoted. The New Testament, the apostles from whom we received the testimony of the risen Savior, they affirmed one author of Isaiah. And so if for no other reason than that, I accept that as the reality. I would also say that I, on a practical level, say that if it's multiple Isaiahs, you're discounting for differences in age and situation. Also, as I said earlier, or no, I, I don't think I said it in this podcast. I think I said it in the last episode about the prophetic books, this idea that multiple authors wrote Isaiah, it, 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 it doesn't follow logic. The idea that, you know, you could be living in Israel and it's like 200 years later and you knew there was a prophet named Isaiah. And then somebody says, oh, I found this book and, and look at all this stuff that he prophesied. And, and you go, well, where'd you get that from? You understand that, that even if it was the case, it assumes that nobody went, wait a minute, what's happening here? Because there were other books that the Jews did not accept as canon. There were people that tried to add extra chapters to the book of Daniel, for example, and the, the rabbis did not accept that. There were other attempts to do what is being suggested here for Isaiah, and they, they said, no, we don't think so. In fact, uh, for the prophetic books, I, I was doing some review of the canon and, and you know, the the 
If you, if you look at the canon, just means the accepted books of the Bible. And if you look at the Orthodox Church or the Catholic Church, they have more books than the Protestant Church does. Why is that? Well, because they put in extra books after the Reformation. Our, our canon for the Old Testament is the same as the Jewish canon. We accepted what was accepted by the Jewish people and what Jesus had and accepted in his day. And it's still the same. We accept uh, the books of the Old Testament the same way that the, uh, that the rabbis and the scribes and the priests did at the time of Christ. That is largely unchanged. We also recognize there's validity. Uh, there's a book called uh, Barak or Baruch um, that's linked to Jeremiah um, that I think is incredibly valuable. It's, it's of literary importance, historical importance, uh, insightful into theology. It's, it's like saying, you know, I'm really thankful for a lot of books. There's, there's, you know, writers like Tim Keller who just passed away, C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, uh, Augustine, and um, modern writers that I'm very thankful for, Dr. Um, uh, Sunchan Ra and um, just, just others who I've read in the last several years who are, are, are deep thinkers. Um, uh, what's that uh, one fellow's name? He's a Perkheiser. He's passed now, but a very deep uh, thinking theologian. I'm currently reading um, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind, uh, which is an exploration of African theologians in the early church. Um, and I'm so thankful for, for these different writers and theologians and thinkers, but they're not the scripture. So I don't elevate them to scripture. And at the same time, I recognize that, hey, you know what? Maybe Purpose Driven Life's a pretty darn good book. Or, hey, maybe... Um, Maybe, you know, Chuck Swindoll or, or somebody like that had a lot of really good things to say, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appreciate that. And so that's kind of how the Protestant church takes as these apocryphal books that we kind of say, hey, some of these books are really good, and some of these books are fantastic and they're worth reading, but they're not scripture. And, and so this idea that multiple Isaiahs could be going around adding to the book of Isaiah, it, it just doesn't fit with what we know of the rest of history, especially how the scribes and the rabbis and the priests uh, dealt with uh, attempts to add to the writings of others. Now, another landmine in the book is who is the suffering servant? I mean, like I said earlier, we read Isaiah 53 every Good Friday. This, this whole section about this coming servant of God who will bring victory through his suffering. And we understand that to be Jesus. And there's very little disagreement among Christians about it, but it's a big point of disagreements between Christians and Jews. It's a massive point of disagreement between Christians and Muslims. That's a landmine. There's also weird stuff. Isaiah walks around naked for three years in chapter 20, and you go, wait, what's happening here? Uh, he names his kids weird things. You know, those are just things you kind of have to work through. But Isaiah, you know, the last question we always ask is, where is Jesus seen? Isaiah gives us the clearest picture of Jesus, I believe, that we have in the Old Testament. There's a couple of other places that, that are kind of up there too, but, but Isaiah consistently is whether he realized it or not, I can't tell you, but he is consistently talking about Jesus. He is consistently talking about the Messiah. There is a reason that he is quoted more than all of the other prophets combined. It is because as you read the book of Isaiah, we are pointed to Jesus and what he did on the cross to set his people free. And he didn't just set the Jewish people free, although I'm thankful for that. He invited all people to come in and embrace Embrace the freedom that God freely offers through the work of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. And no one would say amen more to that 
than the prophet Isaiah. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Starting Points. Episodes are released on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill. Video versions are available on our YouTube page and our Facebook. We appreciate the likes, the subscribes, the shares, all of that social media stuff. You can join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person, as we study God's Word together, gather as a church family to worship and pray together. We meet at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. My name's Adam. I want to say thank you for joining us for another episode of Starting Points.